0: Navigate the journey to becoming a great lawyer with expert guidance on topics that range from trial skills to corner office management. Here you will learn how to tap into your potential for legal greatness. I'm Andrew Smiley, and this is The Mentor, ESQ. So welcome to... um to the webinar and to this episode of the Mentor Podcast, which is being uh, recorded as well. So for those of you listening, uh, if you miss out on something, uh, you can replay it or reach out to me. I can get you the materials. And for those of you um, watching, you can always listen to the podcast afterwards. Um, I'm really excited to do today's topic. And just by way of how we got here, we have over 800 people on uh, on the, the webinar today, which is fantastic. And what happened was in January last month, I was doing part one of a series that uh, we've done two parts so far, a CLE series that most of you, I believe, are taking part of, and I thank you for that, on how to litigate a personal injury case. And in part one, there are all these Q&As that came up about, what about SUM, or when do you serve notice, or how do you file that, how does that work out? So right then and there, uh, Michelle and I, you may recall if you were a part of it, said, you know, do you guys want a a, a seminar on a CLE on SUM? And of course everyone said, yep. So we put it up. So here we are to talk about it. And it just goes to show the benefits of being involved with the Academy and doing these CLEs. Uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to share information, even if you pick up one tidbit from my CLEs that can benefit you, I think it's worth it. That's how I always approach CLEs, looking to find out something or relearn or reaffirm that I'm doing things the right way. So again, if during today's uh, topic of discussion, SUM, other things come up, put it in the Q&A, reach out to me anytime uh, with questions, and we can always put up another CLE if it's something that everybody wants to know. So Uh, To respond to one of the first questions, am I the new John Dax? No, I'm not. I am not an SUM expert. Let's get that out of the way right now. I'm not a coverage lawyer. I'm a plaintiff's personal injury lawyer, and I represent people in all types of serious injury and accident cases. Those often involve automobile and automotive cases. If you practice in this area, if you represent people who are injured in automobile accidents, you must, must, must know what SUM means how it plays out, and what your obligations as an attorney are with regard to SUM coverage. If you do not know it, you may be committing malpractice, and we do not want that to happen. So while I am not a coverage expert, in this um, CLE is not going to get into the weeds of arbitrating an SUM case, what I'm going to cover during this hour or so is what it's all about Generally, how it plays out in your practice, what you're going to see, what you need to know, and uh, hopefully you'll feel pretty good after the CLE that uh, you won't be committing malpractice and you know what it's all about. So let's get going. First of all, what is SUM? What are you? What is everybody talking about? So SUM stands for Supplementary Uninsured Slash Underinsured motorist protection. So the S is supplementary. The U represents either uninsured or underinsured. The M is motorist and there's no P. It's not sump. It's some S-U-M supplementary underinsured or uninsured motorist protection. That's what S-U-M is. And S-U-M coverage is in every single automobile liability insurance policy. And if you have a car, uh, you will look at your insurance policy. And what most people think of, whether it's their own policy or if they're representing somebody uh, involved in an auto accident as a plaintiff or a defendant, is how much liability coverage do they have for for potential negligence? Uh, How much insurance coverage is there for the vehicle that caused the injury? How much insurance coverage does the tortfeasor who caused the injury have uh, to cover a lawsuit that's brought against them? This is what we all focus on, and that is your liability insurance coverage. Um, and that is always going to be on your auto insurance policy. But there are other things on your auto insurance policy also that we all don't pay as much attention to. There's property damage coverage. There's no-fault coverage. There's extra no-fault coverage. There's glass coverage. And there is always S-U-M coverage. Now, the issue is how much S-U-M coverage is there and how does it work? What does it do? Why do we have it? So I'm gonna talk about that first, and then we're gonna look in the materials. I've included some uh, insurance policy declaration pages, known as deck sheets. That is what you look at and what you need to see to find out if uh, there is SUM coverage in your case as it applies or in your own policy. I guarantee you that by the end of this seminar, everybody, if you haven't done so already, is going to be looking at their own auto policy and increasing their SUM coverage. So how does it work? What is it all about? SUM coverage comes into play when a person is injured and the tort who causes the injury has liability insurance coverage that is less then the injured parties SUM coverage. So I'm going to give you an example, and it plays out with the documents that I've given in the materials. For those of you listening to the podcast, if you want the materials, just email me. Um, my email is available everywhere, but it, for those of you who don't have it, it's asmiley at smileylaw.com, and I'll get you the materials. So What happens is, is let's say the pedestrian in this case, and you'll see the materials based upon, she's an elderly lady. She goes to the diner to have some breakfast in her neighborhood. Uh, She leaves the diner. She's still driving. She's got a nice Mercedes. She's been paying insurance all her life. She has a good insurance company and uh, she's walking back to her car after breakfast and a Jeep backs up, doesn't see her, knocks into her and knocks her down. She breaks her hip. She has surgery on her hip, rod and screws, some other injuries, uh, but she's a tough elderly woman. She makes it through the surgery, albeit with bad injuries. So when she approaches me, I take on the case, and uh, we find out through the police report that uh, the vehicle that struck her was a GEICO insured vehicle, and they had a $100,000 liability policy. Now, we all know that that's it. Unless the person is independently wealthy or has excess, for the most part, $100,000 is the amount available to cover this accident if we were to bring a claim on her behalf. And $100,000 is not enough, in my opinion, if you have 100% liability to compensate uh, a woman, an elderly woman who's injured uh, and fractures her hip and ends up from enjoying her golden years and walking around and driving and going to the diner every morning to being stuck in her house because she can't walk and needing 24 hour help to get around and run errands. So what do we do? We say, okay, do you have SUM coverage? And she says, what's SUM coverage? And I explain it to her. That is the first question you all need to ask your clients in a scenario like this, Um, whether they are a pedestrian, whether they are in a car, Uh, Or in someone else's car in their own car. Okay, we're going to talk about how you get coverage and what SUM covers, but you always want to find out in any injury case, who the potential torque fusers are, where the insurance is, where's the coverage, where can we get compensation. Sometimes there is no more to be had. We've all had those cases with horrific injuries uh, with a minimum in New York state, the minimum insurance required for an automobile is $25,000. And uh, people that have those small policies don't have extra money at home and aren't usually professionals that can pay above their policy. And if there's no SUM, no other place to go no matter how horrific the injury is, and I've seen the worst of the worst, uh, you're stuck with the 25 policy. So it's your obligation as a lawyer to ask your client, do you have SUM coverage? And when your client says, what is that? I don't know. You say to your client, get me your insurance policy, email it to me, ask your broker to get it to me. If you don't have it, I will look at it and I will let you know, but it's extra insurance. You may be able to get compensation from your own insurance company as a result of this accident. So. I am not a big believer in screen sharing and going through stuff in these webinars because I like to look at you. I like to engage with you just like when I'm in, a jur- uh, in, a jur- in front of a jury. I don't like to read notes, distract from the attention. However, I'm going to share my screen with you for one moment so we can all look together at a sample deck sheet. Now I have it up on the screen. If you look at the top here, this is uh, the Geico declarations page. I believe this happens to be from that case that I just told you about. And this was the tort feasers deck page. So I've put out any, you know, I've redacted in all these documents, any personal information, but let's take a look. Um, This is what you're gonna see in a typical uh, insurance auto policy, uh, one way or another. I'm gonna show you next a a different way that it can look. if you're not seeing this for some reason, please let me know uh, and, uh, and I'll fix it. But I believe uh, everybody should be seeing this. All right, now on the left side, you have the coverages. In the middle, you have the limits. And on the right, this happened to be a policy that covered three vehicles. Um, you may just have one vehicle or more than one. And the first category is bodily injury liability. All right. This is the liability insurance. This is how much this policy owner has to cover a lawsuit if they are found negligent and cause injuries, and someone brings a claim. That was in our case. So we're bringing a claim against this person and their insurance policy. They had a hundred thousand dollars of liability coverage to cover their negligence. What is this? Three hundred thousand. This has nothing to do with SUM, but you need to know this anyway if you did it. The three hundred thousand is the total amount of coverage they have for an accident. The 100000 is per claimant, per person. So in my scenario, where it's one person who gets hit and injured, there's $100,000 of insurance. If my elderly client was with her friends who got injured, then they would each have $100,000 of coverage available to their claim. If there was three of them having breakfast and all got hit and injured, there would be a total of 300,100 per claim And claim it, If there was more than three people, let's say there was four people that got injured. Uh, we see those cases where uh, someone falls asleep at the wheel, they go off and they take everybody in the sidewalk out. Then what happens? Well, then if it's more than three people, you're exhausting 300,000. That is the total coverage. They all got to share it. So if it's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, they got to whack up the $300,000 among them. It gets messy. It's not easy. It's not divisible evenly. The carrier will dish it out based on injuries and everything else. Uh, But that's what the 100 slash 300 means. Below this, you see property damage. They have coverage of their vehicle gets uh, damage of 50,000. You have the the PIP or no fault here, which is the fifty thousand dollar basic benefit, uh, that's required in New York State. You can get additional sometimes that'll show up. And what do we come to next? The SUM. You could see it here on the left: supplementary, uninsured, underinsured SUM. And again, each person, each occurrence. Now, what this means, with this 100-300 is if the owner of this policy, the tortfeasor, in my case. Got hit by somebody else and got injured. And let's say that other person didn't have enough coverage, had 25,000. They could then make a claim with their own insurance company because they had the SUM coverage. Again, if it was one of them in the car injured, 100,000. Two people, 200. Three people, 300. More than three, you've got to share the 300. So this, the SUM is so important, and it's important for all of us as individuals with cars and family members, because this is the amount of insurance that covers us. We don't have to worry about the tortfeasor's coverage. The more we have in supplementary underinsured motorist protection, the more we have to protect us and to cover us if the tortfeasor doesn't have it. And here's the best part, S-U-M coverage will cover everybody who lives in the household where the policy owner resides. Okay? So your whole family's covered if they live with you, if you're the owner of a policy. If you've got cousin Phil who's been sleeping on the couch and living with you for the last year, cousin Phil's covered. Okay? If it's a situation with roommates, the burden is showing residency and that they actually lived in the household at the time. It's so important you have this. It will cover you, your family, your client, your client's family members. If they're in a car and get in an accident, if they're walking on the street and get in an accident, this is the number that you want to get a lot of as much as you can afford. And now you're sitting there saying, wow, I may not have ever known this, I can't believe this. My insurance broker didn't tell me, no one ever told me that this is available. Well, let's look to the right side of the column and you'll see why. The premiums are really low. Here it's $22 and change a month for this SUM coverage at 100, okay? So in this situation, You're paying upwards of $156 to GEICO to cover you to pay somebody else if they get injured by you, but you're only paying $22 for you and your family. So you want to increase this. It's not always the same. Your injury coverage, bodily injury is not always the same as your SUM. It usually is. But if your client, unfortunately, we see a lot of plaintiffs, we look at their policy, They've got a $25,000 liability policy and a $25,000 SUM, which is gonna get you nowhere, okay? The reason it gets you nowhere, and now I'm going to just, I'm gonna show you one more policy and I'm gonna talk about how it plays out. Here's another policy. So in this case uh, where I'm giving you the forms from, same case, this uh, GEICO one is the vehicle, had a 100 policy, but hey, let's look here. Our client had a policy she owned a Mercedes in 2009, and when I looked at her deck page with Chubb, take a look at this. She has 250000 of SUM, okay? She had $250,000 per person. Again, 500 dollars per accident, 500 dollars per accident. Look how much she was paying Chubb for her SUM, Three dollars That's it. Isn't that crazy? And 319 dollars uh, if she hit somebody else, all right? So- And on top of that, she had umbrella insurance coverage that also had SUM. Yes, you can have excess umbrella auto liability coverage and increase your SUM that covers you. I have it doing what I do and what I know. I have a million dollars liability, a million dollars SUM, then I have a $5 million umbrella policy with 5 million SUM. So God forbid something happens to me or my family members, I know that I have tons and tons of coverage. I don't care if the person has $25,000 in minimum coverage, all right? So these are the deck pages, this is what you need to look at. I'm gonna stop sharing now, okay? Now, how does it work? Here's how it works. Your SUM coverage or your plaintiff or your client that you're representing in an auto injury case, or if you're representing a carrier uh, in the SUM policy, whoever you're representing, here's how it works. The SUM only comes into play, only comes into play if the amount of the SUM coverage you have is greater than the total amount of coverage in automobile policies that the tortfeasor has. So in the example I just gave you, there was $100,000 in Geico that the tort fees are had and liability coverage that I can go after on behalf of my client by bringing a claim or a lawsuit. That's the total amount was $100,000. But hey, I asked for my client's SUM policies. And when I looked at it, I was really pleased to see she had $250,000. You usually don't see that. You usually don't. Unfortunately, people usually have 25 dollars or 100 dollars and it matches what their own policies are. So what this means is that if we can get the entire $100,000 policy limits from the tort we can then get the difference between the $250,000 of SUM coverage and that $100,000 for the benefit of my client, for the plaintiff. The SUM carrier gets a credit. They get an automatic deduction of the policy limits that you can obtain, if you obtain it, from the tort feaser. So you take that two hundred and fifty. you have to get the $100,000 policy offered and tendered. You subtract that and that leaves another $150,000. And then you proceed to try and get that $150,000, okay? Um, you'll see some other letters in the materials and we'll talk about this. In this case, it's very unusual. You may not see it in your uh, career as an attorney. Uh, you may never have seen it. I think I just saw this one case, but we then had to get that 250 minus the 100, that 150 tendered to then go after the umbrella policy, which had another million, and they get a credit off the 250. You're rarely going to see that. What you're usually going to see is you're going to see the tort policy limits. If let's say they have a 25 policy, this is the most practical thing. You're usually going to get a tort that has a $25,000 policy or a $100,000 policy. Usually, you're lucky if you get more. Then you look at your client's policy, the plaintiff. And if the tortfeasor has a 25, the plaintiff's SUM policy is a 25, they cancel out. There's no extra. 25, if that gets tendered, they get the credit, 25, zero is owed. That's it. You have to have more. So if the client uh, has 100 SUM and the tortfeasor is 25 and it's a bad injury, you get them to tender the 25, then you go out. Uh, go uh, towards the SUM carrier. For the balance, 100 minus 25, it allows you an extra 75. The more the better. If your client has a 250 SUM and it's a 25 tort-feaser policy, then you have an additional 125,000 you can go after. So that's how it works. Uh, You have to have more in your SUM than the tort feasor has, and then you can go after your SUM. We're gonna take a break so that Kate can do the polling, and then we'll go from there.
1: Thanks so much, Andrew. Um, Again, if you're here for CLE credit, we ask that you answer this uh, upcoming poll. I'll read it out loud for those of you on the phone, and you can email us your answer. First poll, where is Michelle Stern? A, in the Adirondacks at her parents' cabin with no internet access. B, don't worry, she'll be back next week. Or C, if you miss her, check out the Mentor ESQ podcast, season two, episode two. Thank Great. You. Thank
0: you. So there's a lot of questions and I love questions. We're going to be doing a QA and uh, a starting at two o'clock. So uh, please hang in there uh, because I have so much material to cover. It's hard to get to all these questions during this hour, but you can stay on. It goes from two to two thirty. I will answer every single question that I possibly can. But I did see a few and a I'm gonna answer a lot of these questions. Uh, I'm not done yet in the next half hour and I think I'm gonna cover a lot of the questions that are asked, but just a few quick ones. Yes, SUM is the same as UM slash IUM. Yes, you need to get the full policy limits to kick in. Yes, you usually have to have the same liability coverage uh, to increase your SUM so you can't have 100 liability and ask for a million SUM. You usually have to have the same liability so you're gonna have to buy more liability. It does cost more, but look, You got to decide how you're going to spend your money and your clients are going to have to decide that. Spend whatever you feel comfortable. This is one area, trust me, I've seen it all. You want to have as much coverage for liability and for SUM as possible. So let me explain now how this works now that hopefully everyone has a good handle on what it is. What happens is when you take on the case, you need to explore this right away. You're, you know, we're all looking for coverage uh, when a case comes in the door. So you're going to want to find out SUM coverage uh, right away, get those policies. Once you get those policies, you have to serve sort of notice and a letter of representation uh, on the insurance company that has the SUM coverage on your client's SUM policy. Okay? Saying that, you know, you're representing them in a case, you're putting them on notice uh, that you intend to make a claim pursuant to the SUM provisions of the policy. It doesn't mean you're going to, but it kicks it off. It puts them on notice uh, and you never want to run too late. Although I do not believe there's any statute of limitations on SUM uh, claims and filings. Most insurance policies require that you notify the insurance company as soon as practicable, as soon as your client may know, all right? so. You need to do that right away. You don't want to be the one that the client's relying on, and three years later, the insurance company disclaims. We never heard anything about an SUM. So you want to explore it right. You want to make sure you're not committing malpractice. You want to put everybody on notice. I've included in the material sample letters of putting a carrier on notice uh, of your intention to file a claim, okay, for SUM benefits. So that's for starters. You have to do that. That should go out right away with all your claim letters to the tortfeasor, to the adjusters, all that. Who gets it? There were some initial questions about what if it's a passenger in a cab or someone's on a bus? Well, yes, it's the vehicle. If the person's in a vehicle, It's that vehicle's S-U-M coverage that controls. So if someone's in a cab and the cab causes the accident and you're bringing a claim against the cab driver and the cab company, uh, it's not going to be S-U-M. It's going to be negligent. You're going after that policy. You can't really go after both and they're going to be the same anyway, so they'll cancel out. But what if your client's a passenger in a cab that gets T-boned by uh, someone else running the red light? Then yes, that cab's S-U-M is going to cover them. The vehicle that your client is in Uh, If they are not a tortfeasor, their SUM policy kicks into gear. Not only does it cover everybody in the household, but SUM does cover everybody in the vehicle at the time of the incident, which is great. So the priority of coverage is always going to be the vehicle first, um, then uh, your own or your client's own policies if they're a pedestrian or their uh, vehicle that they're in doesn't have coverage or doesn't have as much. That's sort of how it's going to work. And you have to sort of go through these steps and show that you've exhausted all of those, uh, that there is not coverage available. The whole key, remember, of S-U-M is it's supplemental when another vehicle is underinsured, meaning less insurance, underinsured, or uninsured, no insurance. That's like a hit and run, or they just didn't have insurance, okay? Usually it's going to be the underinsurance. So if the other vehicle that causes the accident, let's say my case, has a $100,000 policy, and I settle the case for 95,000 because they're sticking hard and they're not gonna give me the 100, and then I go to my client's 250 SUM, they're gonna say, sorry, Smiley, you blew it. You settled for 95,000. How can you say they're underinsured when you left money on the table? Clearly your case wasn't worth enough, all right? That's how it works. So you need to get every single penny of that tortfeasor's policy before the SUM coverage and that carrier's obligation to pay uh, kicks in. And sometimes it's tough when it's a case where the value is really close. Let's say you have a case where the injury is debatably 100,000, but there's a 250 SUM and your carrier saying, listen, I'll give you 85. You got to save me something off the policy. It's not really worth 100. What do you do in that situation? Well, What you do is you say, listen, sorry, uh, primary adjuster, but I have SUM. I've told you I do. I'll send you the SUM deck sheet if you need to see it. We've made a claim. I need every last cent. I'm a good guy. I love to save carriers off the policy, but I can't save you even a penny because if I do, I'm committing malpractice. I'm not able to uh, go after the SUM coverage. So please just tender the policy. I'll save you on the next one, but I really need it. uh, And that's where we're going to go. So that's how it plays out. You have to get it all. All right. You have to get all the tortfeasors coverage. That's why I have to see if there's any excess coverage. If in this case, um, the 100000 they had excess coverage, again, I can't pursue the SUM until I exhaust all the tortfeasors auto policies. And I'm going to tell you why it's auto policies. Uh, Because Otherwise, they're not underinsured for the accident. They have coverage. And then you can't go against your own SUM or your client's own SUM policy. So again, cabs can cover you. Vehicles that you're not in can cover you. Uh, Buses, unfortunately, it's a pain. New York City, if they're injured, we know those cases where the bus takes off too fast and someone falls, breaks their hip. Um, You can get SUM coverage from a bus. You can get no fault from the bus. So look into that, but again, it would cancel out S-U-M uh, if you're saying the bus is the tortfeasor. But if the bus got hit, I would look into that, all right? Now, the reason you're going to have to exhaust all auto policies, um, I just had a case where not only was there a negligence case, but our client had his legs severed off. He was in a, in a box truck, uh, commercial vehicle. Some of you may know who handle products cases. And during the crash, he hit into the back of a vehicle, The whole thing collapsed, lost his legs, bled out, and died. Um, There wasn't a lot of coverage in the auto case. We had a products case going. And, um, but in the vehicle that our client was in, there was SUM coverage, a decent amount. So the question was, if we exhaust all the auto policies, um, and then we get a settlement in the products case, which we did, is the product settlement a set off from the SUM? You know, even if you got a lot and the family got a lot in the products case, a lot more than even the SUM coverage was. When they get a credit, how does that work? And we were pleased to find out, we did the research because again, I don't know everything. Nobody does. Always do your homework. I spoke with my coverage counsel. We did some looking. And just because uh, our client's family got the benefit of a settlement from the product liability carrier, that is not auto coverage. We exhausted all the auto coverage and it was underinsured. So we were able to get a settlement, an additional settlement from the SUM claim, which was pretty cool so uh you can get into the weeds on this stuff which i promise not to do we only have 20 minutes and change left but just be aware you need to exhaust all the auto policies that's what you're looking at auto policies exhaust them all then you can go after sum all right now so how do you get there how do you get that money for your client well in the case that i've given you the materials of Uh, You'll see that, first of all, we put everybody on notice of SUM claims as well as regular claims. Then I spoke with the GEICO adjuster, and I pushed really, really hard. I got them all the medicals, got the police report, confirmed it was a fractured hip, hospitalization, surgery, rod and screws. It's worth more than $100,000, flat liability. Uh, There's SUM coverage. I need your policy. I hounded that Geico adjuster uh, after sending the records until they tendered it. I said, come on, you're holding me up here. I've got an elderly woman I'm representing. I need you to tender your policy. I've given you everything you need and I need an affidavit of excess. For those of you who do not know about affidavits of no excess, you may be committing malpractice in your practice. I've attached a sample of an affidavit of no excess. Uh, All that is, is it's a form that carriers, Uh, For auto policies will send to their insured where they ask them to check off boxes and they notarize and sign saying they have no other policies other than that $100,000 policy in this case, that is an affidavit saying there's no other coverage, you have to get that you should get that in all cases you settle when you're settling for the policy limits, whether there's SUM or not. Because again, if you're leaving money on the table that could have been available to your client and you settled the case, whether it's SUM coverage or it's an excess or umbrella policy that would have applied, you've just committed malpractice and your client can sue you now for that money that you left on the table. So be careful and do not settle cases for the policy limits unless you get an affidavit of no excess, okay? And the carriers will get that. Sometimes they come in different ways, shapes or forms. I've had to prepare a sample affidavit to give to carriers, to give to their clients. It's tough because sometimes clients with the minimum policies are not cooperative. They disappear on the carrier. They're not signing off these affidavits. So, in that instance, I will do an asset check of my investigator run an asset check. Uh, where the person lives, what we can find out to try and get a general sense of whether or not there's more coverage um, until you feel reasonably confident and you explain to the client. Again, if you've been following my CLE series, I'm big on informing the client about everything. Explain to the client, you're settling for the policy limits. You usually like to have an affidavit of no access. Unfortunately, you, despite your efforts over the last month, you can't get it. Uh, you've done an asset search, which reveals, just want to make it clear, make sure you're comfortable. Make sure you have their consent, and before they sign the release, you tell them that. I wouldn't worry so much about affidavits of no access on 25 policies. Those people usually do not have access. I don't think you can with a 25 policy, frankly. I don't think I've ever seen it. But if you're settling a case for 100,000, if you're settling a case for the policy limits at 250, uh, the higher you get up in number, the more you have to be concerned. If they're giving you a primary or policy limits of 500,000 or a million dollars you better check for an affidavit of no excess because people carrying 500 policies or million policies usually have umbrella policies. Speaking of umbrella policies, they do not automatically come with SUM coverage. That was a question I saw briefly before, uh, but you can get, and I recommend you do pay for, SUM coverage explicitly in your excess and umbrella policies and tell all of your clients that have the means to do so to get that coverage. And there's another great question. Can you have SUM coverage if you don't own an automobile and have an automobile policy? Again, I've seen it once and only once in my 25 years of practice that a client of mine remarkably was a New York City resident, lifelong, and she never needed or had a car, but she was always worried, what happens if I get hit by a car? I'm walking these streets all the time. There's taxi cabs everywhere. Can I get any insurance to cover me? She had that conversation with an insurance broker and yes, you can get SUM coverage uh, if you do not own a car and she had it. I think she had maybe a hundred thousand and it was a 25 policy that hit her and she got the extra 75. We got her for her to her benefits, her credit. So it can play out that way. Important to get that. All right. So, and I see some more questions popping up. I promise I'll get to them if uh, I exhaust what I've wanted to talk about in the next uh before the two hour mark hits or the 2 p.m. mark hits and we'll go from there. All right, now you get, in my case, I had uh, the Geico said, smiley, you got it. You got the 100,000, we're tendering it, okay? Good luck with your SUM case. I say, great, thank you. Um, Can you please put that in writing? I need it in writing and I need your affidavit of no excess. I need you to provide both of those. I need them in writing. I hound them until I got those. Sometimes there's a delay, but you need to hound and hound until you get those. It is malpractice if you do not. Then once you get the policy limits tendered in writing, and in that letter it has to say, we are hereby offering you $100,000, which represents our insurance policy limits, okay? It has to say in the tender letter, this represents the full amount of the policy limits. You get your affidavit of no excess, then, you take that information and you reel off a letter to the SUM carrier, the same one that you put on notice at the beginning of the case. You send them a letter, hello, I'm back. Remember I sent you that letter? Well, this is in furtherance of that letter. We have now, uh, the primary tortfeasor has tendered the policy limits. Enclosed uh, herein, please find the tender letter of the policy limits and an affidavit of no excess. You need to provide that to the SUM carrier. And in that same letter, you need to ask for written consent. Yes, you need written consent in New York State. I recently learned you did not need it in other states or not all states for that matter. Uh, I have a case in Connecticut where I reached out to it and the very nice brokers after me hounding them for two weeks to get consent, uh, said, all right, stop hounding me, Mr. Smiley in, New- in Connecticut. We don't need to give you written consent or a verbal consent for that matter. You don't need it. So I had that in writing, but you need consent from the SUM carrier to settle, meaning send releases out, sign releases to the primary tortfeasor. They will give it to you by, uh, by course. If they don't, Uh, After a period of time and you cover yourself with letters requesting it, you can then proceed because they are not able to unreasonably withhold consent. And they know that. So as long as you send them enough letters saying, I need consent, I've sent you this letter. This is my fourth letter. uh, At this point, I am taking the position you are unreasonably withholding consent. uh, And uh, I will then proceed to settle the case if I do not hear any objection or otherwise from you. So you've covered yourself. You can then get that. Then what's the next step? Okay, you settle the primary, you've gotten the tender letter, affidavit of no excess, you've gotten written consent, or they've waived it in essence because you've covered yourself. Then you speak to the insurance adjuster for the SUM claim. And you say, hey, I'm ready to talk. Are you ready to talk? And what are they going to say? I need medicals. I need this. I need that. So make sure you get everything to to them. What I like to do when I see a case going there, when I know more likely than not, we're gonna get the policy limits and be going to the SUM part of the case. The whole time, whenever I get records in, every time I send it off to the liability carrier, I'm sending it to the SUM carrier. Here's your for your file. Here's the records. Here's the injury, so that by the time you're ready to talk turkey with them and you've gotten the primary tendered, they have the records. You're not sending it all and hearing, well, I'm going to need to review. I'm going to committee it. It'll take a month. You got to work them. Keep working the phones, emails, letters. Get them everything while you're working the primary case. It's how you move cases, folks. It's how you get your clients their compensation. Quickly. This is how you get your fee paid when you get the case resolved quickly. Things don't sit, get them everything. So then you make the call. Hey, I've given you all the records. My client, she's an elderly woman. You've seen the records. You've seen the surgery. I'm having an economic report generated, which is going to show seven figures is what it's going to cost her for 24 hour home health aides to now drive her around to do errands because she wasn't able, she used to be able to do it before this accident. So, In this scenario, she has 250 of uh, SUM coverage and umbrella coverage SUM. I need you to tender. You get the credit from the 100 that I've shown you has been tendered. I need you now to tender your difference, which is the 250 minus the 100. That gets me another 150. And I want you to tender that to me because I want to settle the case now. And uh, in the instance where there's even umbrella or SUM excess, you're gonna to wanna to go to the next level and again, get consent in the letters and all of that. So you can start the negotiations, okay? And you ask them and you hound them to see if they're ready to talk turkey. They're gonna say, well, we're not gonna pay you the whole amount. You know, we get a credit and the worst we have to lose is by going to arbitration. And they're usually right. Uh, by going to arbitration, they're still capped at the policy limits. So in my scenario, the 250, you subtract the 100, their full exposure is 150, whether they pay to me on the first phone call or they wait till I arbitrate the case, go through arbitration, litigate that, which we'll talk about briefly, get a decision from the arbitrator, awarding the whole policy limits. That's it. That's their full exposure. There's no bad faith or anything like that. So usually you have to save them a little something to make it worthwhile. So you try that process. You try to negotiate, see if you can settle it. But Sometimes there's a million in SUM and they don't think your case is worth anywhere near that. So you do what you normally do to negotiate a case. Uh, Often they'll mediate. I find that the carriers will mediate the case, um, but sometimes they won't. So what do you do? You have to file for an arbitration with the AAA, the American Arbitration Association in New York. That's how it works. It's mandatory. You cannot sue your insurance company in the state of New York for an SUM claim. You have to file for an arbitration. But it's really easy to do, and by the way, that's different again. Outside in Connecticut, same example, there is no mandatory arbitration. You sue the insurance company, um, which I think is is more leverage because uh, you know your plaintiff's going to end up in a courtroom in front of a jury with an insurance company as a defendant saying they're not paying your client who's been paying premiums for all these years. So um, you can sue them, but not in New York. In New York State, it's mandatory arbitration, but it's not a bad thing, especially during the pandemic. The cases are going to move faster in arbitration. Uh, You've heard me preach that if you've been listening to my part one and part two series of how you get your cases moving during this pandemic. So you file for arbitration. And I know many of you have been kind enough to call me out on my very old Arbitration filing sample that I put with the materials. Again, you'll probably see the dates on it. That's an older case, uh, but it's a sample. The address may have changed, the form may have changed, but what you need to know is that all you have to do is Google AAA arbitration, uh, SUM, or uninsured, or uninsured, or underinsured. Put in those words. Uh, it'll come up on their website, and they have all the forms there, and they'll have the form there uh, for submitting the claim. They give you the directions. It's super easy. Um, They tell you how to serve it, uh, how to file it, who you send copies to and the fee and the information. I gave the sample in there just to give you an idea. You check off all the applicable boxes. Uh, You may have to attach a, a policy of insurance that applies. Whatever it is, just follow through what the AAA tells you to do. It's all laid out there, the forms are there, and file for the arbitration. I recommend filing for the arbitration. The same discussion I had in part uh, two of my CLE series on litigating a personal injury case last a uh, few weeks ago uh, as to when to file lawsuit or when to keep negotiating. Same sort of thing. You get a sense of when you're being delayed or jerked around and they're not real about settling a case or setting up a mediation. Um, And that's when you want to file it. You want to keep the case moving. You can always settle it after you file for the arbitration. Uh, There's really no downside. It's not a huge fee. It's not difficult to do. and It gets you in the wheelhouse and it gets you in the system. All right. So you file um, for the arbitration. And for those who have never uh, conducted any kind of arbitration through the AAA, it's pretty streamlined. The rules are online. You download the rules, you stick to the rules, you follow them. But what will happen is you'll, a file will get opened. You'll get emails saying your, your arbitration case has been opened. uh, And eventually you'll get notified of who your arbitrator is, who's assigned to the case. If You're lucky. It'll be someone that knows a little something about, uh, about auto cases and SUM policies, it usually is. And um, then they'll set up a conference. You have a conference, they go over sort of the uh, rules and, uh, and then you proceed with the arbitration. I'm gonna take a quick little break so Kate can give you the second poll. And then after that, uh, I'll wrap up everything that I can get to and then we'll go to the Q&A.
1: Thanks so much, Andrew. For those of you who have been on all along since one o'clock, you have fulfilled your um, CLE requirement as long as you stay on through the end of Andrew's presentation. If you're here for Pennsylvania or Connecticut credit, it's a 60-minute credit hour. Uh, we ask that you stay on through the Q&A to be sure that you get those, um, the credit for, for those states those as well. So I'm going to launch this poll. The second question is, which Academy CLE are you most excited to attend next? High-tech, low-cost, obtaining your client's medical record, audit trail, and more. Tomorrow, February 18th. B, new uniform rules for Supreme and County courts, the implementation. This is a follow-up to our basics course last month. That's on February 23rd. The Danger Zone, When Stress, Burnout, and Chronic Overwork Collide with Ethics on February 24th, Finding a Path to Justice Through Mediation, March 2nd, and or How to Successfully Litigate a Personal Injury Case Series, Part 3, Your Adversary, the Preliminary Conference, and Initial Discovery, March 3rd. Thank you all. We are to 87. I'll keep it open. Andrew, I'll hand it back over to you.
0: Okay, great wow i think this is the most questions i've seen pop up in a Q&A, uh 84 so far which is cool keep them coming i will work on getting to all of them even to the question about my virtual backdrop i'll get to that as well uh in the q a all right so as part of the main part of this program i'm going to run till the two o'clock hour then we'll hit the q a please hang around for that if you'd like um so Let's talk about the procedure for the arbitration. So what will happen is you'll get assigned an arbitrator, you'll have a phone conference, maybe these days a Zoom conference, and they'll ask about the case, uh, they'll ask about, uh, you know, what issues there are. They're usually pretty workable, but they do have full authority to decide any motions that are made. For example, if the if counsel for the Uh, SUM carrier uh, thinks that the SUM coverage does not apply here because you messed up, you didn't get the full policy limit, or uh, after the credit there's none left, or any other technical reason, Uh, they can make that motion uh, to the arbitrator. But more likely what you're going to see if there's pushback on the arbitration is a motion to stay the arbitration. OK, uh, if you are a defense counsel practicing in this area or a claims adjuster, you're very familiar with this. As a plaintiff's lawyer, you may not have seen this. So what that is, is generally what the defense counsel will do off the bat to protect the rights of his carrier or her carrier is file a motion in the trial court, the Supreme Court in New York State, of where the action is pending or the events transpired, requesting that hold up got to stop the arbitration. Can't go down that path yet. We're going to ask that you stay it um, because, you know, Hey, we haven't had the claimant uh, comply with the provisions in the policy. We want an examination under oath. Uh, We want uh, an IME, an examination from our doctors. We need authorizations. We need records. All right. So they're going to make that motion quite often and Usually the the attorneys, the ones I've been fortunate enough to interact with, my colleagues on the other side, they'll file the motion, then they'll call me up, or they'll call me up before and say, I'm filing this motion. Hey, we can stip to adjourn it uh, for a long time. Just get me what I need. And then that date comes and, oh, I still need this. We can stip to adjourn the motion. And that's cool. Just step to adjourn it bounce it along you usually don't have to oppose it um, but sometimes you do if they're unreasonably not adjourning it or unreasonably making the motion so in your sample materials I've included uh, a sample opposition to one of those motions so feel free to cut and paste as I do with all my CLEs I try and give materials that you can use uh, that are worthwhile to you I find when I'm attending CLEs That's what I like to get. I'm always looking for samples and templates. So you'll be able to keep moving. And then you'll have end dates for discovery that the arbitrator will set. And uh, you'll produce your client for deposition, in essence, the EUO, the examination under oath. Um, You technically have the right to take a deposition of someone from the insurance company, uh, which I find interesting. So I would do that. You serve demands. uh, Get creative. I ask for notes on the file, ask for all kinds of stuff. And if they don't give it and the arbitrator doesn't, I'll try and go to court sometimes if it gets to that point where it's a good policy that I'm fighting at. You can get creative. Uh, Again, uh, I defer to my colleagues that are more experts on the arbitration process than I am. I do not pretend to be an arbitration specialist, uh, but I have found, I found that generally once the carrier does the, uh, physical evaluation gets the examination under oath of your client, which is often the first time your client's testifying because there's usually not depositions. If you get the policy limits tendered pretty early on, uh, which is what will happen. Cause you really haven't litigated the case, but sometimes you can give them a deposition. They're happy with it. If you've already done one, you give them the police report, everything else, um, So, uh, you know, all issues are litigated, and all damages are considered. So in answer to some of the questions I saw popped up, the SUM, you still have to prove fault, okay, it's not an automatic coverage for an injury, you still have to prove there's negligence on the tortfeasor. Uh, So they fill the shoes in essence of the tortfeasor. So you may have to prove fault, they have a defense of that on the defense side, Uh, they feel there was no fault by the tortfeasor, even if they did tender the policy, Uh, you have to prove fault and damages. And yeah, lost wages, uh, you can pursue, you can pursue everything. Like I said, in this particular case, because there was a big policy, we worked it up. We had a life care plan, an economist come in, we figured out what kind of round-the-clock care she would need, the cost, because insurance doesn't cover uh, private uh, home health insurance. Uh, oh, you might see Kitty, my, my little buddy, pop in, sorry about that. Um, so that's all up for grabs, Discovery is all up for grabs, and ultimately, you'll get an arbitration date. And that's a date, you'll have the rules, you have to disclose all your materials. You can call witnesses, disclose reports, medical records, damages records, liability records. In other cases, not SUM that I've arbitrated, i put together big binders with everything the arbitrator you think would wanna see to submit. Uh, And then you'll have an in-person arbitration where you could present witnesses uh, and make your case. Usually it's a one day affair, not one of these big corporate three-day arbitrations with lots of arbitrators. I have found I think in 99.9% of my SUM claims, they settle before arbitration. Most parties don't want the arbitrator to decide it. You as plaintiff's counsel or defense counsel don't want to leave it in the hands usually of the arbitrator. The um, the carrier usually doesn't want to leave it in the hands of the arbitrator. So it's not uncommon that as I get closer to an arbitration, we'll set up a mediation or we'll talk turkey Uh, and end up settling the case. That's usually what's going to happen. But build your case. Same way with trial, right? Um, You build your case as if you're going to trial, and that's why you'll get the best settlements. If you have your ducks in a row, you've exchanged your expert reports, you have your experts ready to go, you've built your damages and liability case, you'll settle prior to trial, usually. Same thing with the SUM arbitration. Build your case, uh, be ready to go, and um, show your adversary what you plan to show them at the time of... The, uh, arbitration, and then usually uh, your case will settle either by mediation or in advance of that. So in essence, that's that's the that's the taking the um. Hopefully, I took the um out of sum for you. Hopefully, you know a little bit about it now, a little bit more than you did coming in. Gave you some clarity. I know there were a ton of questions. We're now up to ninety nine. Somebody else ask a question so we could break the hundred mark, please. Uh, and um, the poll I see is up now. So if you didn't get it, go hit to that poll. And I'm happy to talk while you're answering your poll questions. Uh, we're hitting the two o'clock mark, and I'm getting into the Q&A session now. So please stay with me if you'd like for the Q&A. If not, thank you for joining us. Join me. It's not too late to hop into part three, uh, which kicks off on March 3rd of the whole process of how to litigate a uh, plaintiff's personal injury injury case. Uh, The next series we're going to get up to, we've already talked about filing and jurisdiction and leading up to it. This next part, it's a seven part series. Part three is in March uh, and we're going to get into discovery when issues join initial discovery conferences and all of that. All right. So 101 questions. I am going to start at the beginning. If I'm not addressing your specific question, uh, it may mean I'm going to hold it either to the end, or I think I did cover it already. Uh, First question I see is a question. So your client's in New York and um, they're in a New Jersey car that has an accident in New York. And so that car has a New Jersey SUM policy. All right. And so of course the passenger is not named on that policy. Again, again, I'm not as familiar with New Jersey cases. My understanding is, is that if the New Jersey auto policy has SUM, then you can go after that policy. That's how it plays out. And that I believe is the correct answer. But someone who has more experience in these cases, feel free to chime in uh, to this answer. But I believe that's how it plays out. Again, you look at the host vehicle, wherever it is, uh, I think SUM is nationwide look for that coverage, see if it's there. That's the first step. If there is no coverage and your client is a passenger and has their own SUM, then you're going to go after that. Okay. Um, All right, I'll answer the quick background coverage. Uh, I had somebody make this for me. It's basically, if you do backgrounds, all you need to do is have someone handy with photos and moving stuff around and putting images on photos, and then you can use that. Uh, You just upload it as a photo in your virtual background. I got all kinds of cool backdrops backdrops that I use other than this one for my other Zooms too, my office, uh, my garage, things like that. All right. Multiple vehicles, okay, with various UM coverages. What order, how do you figure that out? Usually, if you uh, you or your client have multiple cars, usually they're going to all fall under the same policy. Like we saw that Geico one where there were three different cars covered. So it's rare. I haven't really seen it where it's multiple cars owned by a plaintiff or a person in different policies for different cars. It's usually the same. Sometimes one will be a business policy, uh, which is good because business policies are usually greater than private auto. But again, usually the auto policy, Uh, that they're in is going to be the primary one. You have to exhaust that. You have to look whether there's stacking provisions. It's always going to be in priority of which one kicks in. It's rare that you're going to be able to avail yourself of multiple SUM coverages from different policies that you have, they're usually gonna be combined or the same amounts and cancel out. But if you have that scenario, let me know. I'm happy to look at your policies that you are running into and give you my thoughts or just you know contact coverage uh, counsel. By the way, uh, most of you probably know this, but I am super, super happy to speak with you privately by email, by phone, by Zoom. Many of the attendees from my part one and part two will confirm that I get back to everybody I've had some great zoom calls. Uh, We've already referred some cases back and forth. I love to engage with you get to know you. Uh, I'm happy to decide private time for you by zoom or phone to go over anything, including SUM. So please reach out to me. My uh, contact info is in my CV and easy to find. All right. Um, all right, client is a passenger in a cab. I talked about that already. Okay, liability policy limit 100,000 offered and collected. Client has 300,000 SUM. Good. Insurance for clients' policy offers 75 under the SUM. All right, so we know they have a $200,000 credit. The 100 has been collected. There was 300, that leaves 200 left for you to go after. They've offered sixty-five thousand of that two hundred, so that's your negotiating room. Uh, does the offer consider the credit as you would receive, or should the offer be for one sixty-five? No, they're offering you sixty-five thousand of the remaining um, two hundred thousand. Okay, so your cap is two hundred. They're offering you sixty-five. Looks like you're in a pretty good spot. You gotta negotiate between 65 and 200. They're not gonna give you the 200. So you're gonna tell them, look, I'm gonna save you something, but you know this case is worth the additional 200. You gotta do better than 65. And there you go, you have your parameters? Work it out. Uh, Let me know if you want me to mediate the case for you. I'm not a mediator, but I'll happily broker a deal for anybody for free if I can. Uh, Maybe put it in mediation, but you should be able to settle that case. Um, All right, Answered that question. All right, good, I've covered a lot of these. Someone says, "I thought if there are more than one defendant, it can be used against each defendant, not accumulative." Incorrect. No. So if your client's hit by two cars and they're each different policies and they each have a hundred policy, and your client has a two hundred sum, I don't think that exists. But it's all going to cancel out. Again, you have to exhaust all of the automobile tortfeasor policies, okay? Um, I'm not familiar, someone's asked me if I can point to a New Jersey rule about the credits that would happen in a New Jersey case, sorry, can't give you that info. Um, SUMs on umbrella policies, I think I answered that, yep, you can get them, you have to pay separately and specifically request them, otherwise you're probably not gonna see it. Uh, SUM is the same as UM UIM. same way PIP and no fault is generally Known to be the same thing. Talked about consent, stacking policies. Um, Yeah, I mean, um, again, stacking policies usually doesn't happen in any situation. Forget about SUM or liability. Uh, Most policies will have a disclaimer, uh, for example, saying, uh, I'll cover you in this auto accident, but if you're driving another vehicle, I'm not going to cover you. That other vehicle's insurance has to cover you first if there is that. Um, okay. A responsible driver's carriers in liquidation hate when that happens SUM endorsement addresses the issue treat as though uninsured and that carrier tendered its limit um, does SUM have a right of subrogation so right of subrogation uh, and credit are different uh, whether or not they have a right of subrogation to go against the tort fees I don't know that'll be their policy is going to control that. Um, How specific does the plaintiff's notice to the SUM carrier need to be? What is the timing? What point does that notice or tender need to go out? I touched on this earlier. You just need to let them know you're making a claim for the injuries with the date of accident and you represent that client. That's putting them on notice. I have sample letters the materials, use that get it out immediately or as soon as you find out there's SUM coverage, get it out. You never want a situation where you as the lawyer was aware or should have reasonably been aware of the coverage and failed to put them on notice. So once you find out, get that letter out. What are the ramifications when the UM carrier denies permission to accept the underlying policy limits? All right, so that's when they don't give you consent. Again, I think I touched on that. They can't unreasonably withhold. That's their penalty. Put them on notice, paper it to death, and after a long enough time, I figured 30 days, and you've lettered it to death, you tell them you're gonna settle it unless they object timely, and you'll be fine. All right, there are a lot of questions about that, what I just answered. Does an underlying court action against the tortfeasor need to be discontinued before pursuing SUM? Great question. I do not believe it does. So, if you're pending, you're in litigation. Your carrier, um, uh, the tort fees are in that litigation. Defendant offers the policy limits. Yeah, you don't need to submit a stip of discontinuance. I've never seen a requirement of that. You can go right for the SUM, um, and if need be afterwards, if their carrier wants you to submit a discontinuance, submit a step of discontinuance then just do it there's no problem aha someone said there's a six-year statute limitation thank you for that uh for filing an sum claim uh i would believe that's because six-year statute limitation in new york state we're talking about is based on contract and an sum policy is a contract so six years from that thank you for putting that up there um, No problem uh, submitting an SUM claim for a pedestrian. We do it all the time. It has to be during the use of operation of a vehicle that the injury occurs. So if they're hit by an automobile that covers that, okay? So the practical question, uh, there's several of them being asked about whether or not, and the client's going to ask you, well, I don't know. I don't want to sue my insurance company. They're going to increase my premiums. Do they do it? Probably, yeah, they are going to do it. So if your premiums go up $100 a month, which would be huge if they double, you know, you're know, you paying another $1,200 a year, but it gets you another $200,000 in your pocket, what do you wanna do? Tell your client you can't guarantee the premiums won't go up. If they've been a paying client for a long time with no other claims, it may not but it may. But what I always say is, listen, it's worth it. Uh, You can always switch to a new carrier afterwards uh, if that's how they're going to treat you. But it's not going to go up so high that it's going to outweigh the benefits of pursuing the SUM claim. So again, inform your client uh, so they know, tell them to rest easy uh, and that they should still pursue it in your opinion, but they don't have to agree with you. If they don't want to, that's their loss and you don't do it. Okay. Listen to the client. I always say that we work for our clients. We inform them. We want them to make informed decisions, but they ultimately will make the decisions like settlement and other things like SUM pursuing. Um, Okay so i have a million sum on my car but i'm in a cab with 25k sum and the other car causes the accident am i stuck with the cabs sum not my million no you are not good for you for having the million if you do you can then go after your own sum um if the if your policy requires you to get the cabs 25 sum first i don't think you need to Um, I think it will still cover you. Uh, and You're not stuck with the CABS SUM. I think you can elect your tort feasors limit. Again, usually you need to exhaust the tort feasors policy limits. You don't need to exhaust any other SUM policies limits. So um, you can check me on that, but certainly you are not gonna lose out on that 1 million SUM coverage one way or another if the tort feasor has a $25,000 policy. That's what it's there for. You're gonna get use of that. what is my experience with an Uber Lyft SUM in an ATIC BI vehicle? I'm not sure what ATIC is, but yeah, you, Uber and Lyft has, uh, I believe they have million SUMs and we've had success with those. So if your client is in those, they're in an accident, they're not the tortfeasor, uh, you get the tortfeasor's policy, uh, you can pursue Uber and Lyft SUMs and we've done that and uh, that works. Oh, American Transit Insurance Company. Um, is the liability carrier. That'd be interesting. Um, good luck getting the policy tendered by uh, by American Transit. And I don't feel bad saying that, American Transit. And if any of your carriers or counsel are there, come on now. You need to start tendering your policies in cases that you know they need to be tendered. Don't drag us down because it holds us up with our SUM claims and other claims. But yes, um, you got to stand American Transit. It's tough sometimes, really, really tough, unfortunately, to get them to tender policies, even when it's clearly a case where they should tender it. Okay. A lot of these I've fortunately answered. Ah, pedestrian or bicycle. Yes, bicycles are covered. You or your clients riding on a bicycle and um, get struck by a vehicle, their SUM coverage will cover that if they have SUM coverage. Basically, bicyclists are treated like pedestrians under the law in New York in most scenarios. Same with no fault, SUM coverage, that kind of stuff. Ah, all right. Someone's saying that you don't need to collect 100% of the tortfeasor's user's policy if the SUM carrier consents in writing to a lesser amount. That's good to know. See, now I'm in the know. I didn't know this. Um, I've never had that happen, uh, but... It's good to know it's worth a shot. So if you can do that, great. Uh, I'd be really surprised to see that. I don't know why they would, but uh, especially since that's how they get off the hook without having to pay anything um, by saying you haven't gotten the full policy limits, but worth a shot, great. Do we know if New York City or the city has SUM? They never seem to answer an acknowledgement. I don't think they do. I don't, I haven't seen it. If someone else has, please drop the answering. See, this is great. We still have like over 400 lawyers on this. Uh, Again, I'm here to share my knowledge. I don't know everything and most lawyers don't know everything, but I know a lot more than some people do about some things. uh, So I try and share that with you. So we have a community here and I love it with the Academy. We're all here on the CLEs. Now it's usually the same group of us attending these CLEs. And so, you know, when you know something, please share it like that person just did about getting written consent. We all benefit, I benefit from it. That's why we do these things. All right, if the defendant driver tenders policy, can you settle and then continue with SUM or do you have to wait for both claims to resolve? No, as long as you have written consent, you can get those releases out, you can get the money in, distribute the money and continue with the SUM claim. Um, What I do in those situations, if there's a lien uh, against the underlying case, is you uh, try and resolve that underlying lien out of the proceeds of the underlying settlement, and then um, you can distribute that. Uh, I'll be talking about this in my litigation series at the end when settling and closing out a case, Uh, but again, as far as fees, uh, my understanding is, is you can take your one-third fee pursuant to your retainer on the settled amount of the tort feasor when all the money's in, everything's paid out, and then when the SUM funds come in, clear escrow. Again, you would take your fee at that time on the SUM portion. Almost like two different cases, you can treat them. Someone's asking if you have two tort feesers, can you go to the sum twice? No, you can't. You have to exhaust both tort feesers' policy limits. Again, remember, the key is, you're saying that your client, there's uninsured or underinsured coverage for the accident. What that means is there's not enough coverage out there. By one tortfeasor, two, three, four, five total. There's just not enough coverage out there to cover your client. So you have to exhaust all of them before the SUM kicks in. Hey, it would be great if you had a 300 SUM and you got 100, go after 200 extra SUM. Got another 100, went after Doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Okay, client is a taxi cab driver operating his own taxi on his way home. He's in a motor vehicle accident. He has a household vehicle separately insured with a different carrier than his cab. His taxi has no SUM, but his household vehicle insurance does. Can the household policy SUM apply? Yes, it can. Very good question. Again, the ruling out is. All the boxes are checked. There's extra coverage, tort feasors, policy gets exhausted. There's no other SUM coverage other than his vehicle at home. The caveat is, if that policy at home says that he's operating another vehicle that he owns, okay, then it may not cover it. There may be a disclaimer. So you just need to check the answer to that question. And the answer to a lot of these questions, frankly, is found in the language of the insurance policy get the policy, read the language. I can't tell you how many times I read the policy in this case I talked about earlier, where we got a big settlement in the products case of whether that would be a credit. I kept reading and rereading the SUM policy that we were attempting to pursue. And I kept seeing, you know, if you've exhausted basically all other known motor vehicle policies. So I sent over to my coverage counsel. I said, am I reading this right? It says motor vehicle policies. It doesn't say all other policies. And sure enough, that's how it played out. And that's what we found out was right. We found a case on point. So read the policy. If it doesn't kick in, there will be a disclaimer or a reason not to. And if there's not a, some type of risk, uh, of exception or disclaimer for that, you should be in good shape. Answer that. Uh, I deal with the elderly who no longer drive, but often riding cabs and cross streets. Yep, that applies. Get them. Get them a policy. Speak to any insurance brokers you know. They'll be happy to get it for them. Uh, Get that policy. Again, you do not need to have a car to have SUM. Everybody in the country, everybody in the state, especially everybody in New York City, needs to have SUM. Uh, Hopefully, things are going to get back to normal. We're all going to be crossing the streets in busy cities, especially in New York City. My office is in Midtown Manhattan on 42nd and Lex. Can't tell you how many times. Uh, me or a staff member or a lawyer in my firm has come this close to being hit uh, when we're crossing the street to go grab lunch. There we see accidents, things happen. You need to have SUM for these instances. Cabs and uh, and livery cars are required to have 100 in coverage in New York, but all the cars, 25,000 is the minimum. You need to have more than 100 to cover yourself. All right, we got 13 minutes left. Still got a bunch of you hanging in there. Thank you, Um, all right. I exhausted that. Again, a lot of people ask about multiple plaintiffs. You exhaust the bodily injury policy, but not for the full amount. Good question. Okay. Here's an interesting twist. So here's the situation. Um, it's a 2550 policy. There's three, uh, plaintiffs, right? So there's a total of 50,000. Your plaintiff may not get the 25 policy. Okay. let's say your plaintiff gets, they split it up three ways, 16 and change times three amongst the three plaintiffs. So technically, your plaintiff may have gotten the full amount they could get because everybody was really badly injured and they equally split it up. Is that considered the full policy for benefit of SUM coverage? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and I don't know if there's a clear answer or if that is a litigation type situation where you have to make the argument that you did, uh, depending on what the carrier's answer is. If someone has that answer, please chime in. Um, that is a very good question, tough question. I would think there's got to be a way to get to the SUM. And what I generally do in those situations is I say, listen, I want that full 25 from my client, all right? I don't care what you do, split up the other 25. I've got SUM and I'm not gonna settle the case unless I get the full 25 in that situation. That's what I recommend you do. If you run into a situation where it's split up three ways, like I just said, um, that might be a perfect one where you try and get the written consent that another um, member uh, joining us on the CLE webinar suggested, okay? so many great questions here. You can see how this is just like such a ripe area for issues and questions and uncertainty. Um, all right, all right. There's some good answers popped up. I'm not gonna read those. Everybody pop up your Q&A, look through it because if I haven't addressed it, I know a lot of other people are commenting and kind enough to help me out here, fielding questions, thank you. Um, So someone here is saying that they don't do personal injury law. There's a lot of you on this Zoom who do not do personal injury law. And that's why you're smart enough to take CLEs like this so that if you come across a case, you know what you're doing. Um, So do you do do an asset search? If there are assets uh, and you find assets, do you not settle for the policy limits? So generally, here's how this plays out, folks. You look at the policy limits and you look at the client's injury and you look at whether or not there may be um, liquid assets. And by that, I mean, someone owns a house in their name. You're not going to even if you get a judgment, you're not going to take their house away from them. You're going to be a lien holder until they sell that house. and You'll probably be second lien holder behind a mortgage or other liens. All right. That's not viable. The only time you're really going to get assets is a situation I once had where a physician had like a fifty thousand dollar insurance policy, and the case was worth you know two hundred fifty thousand. And I they kept telling me, listen, they only have fifty. The doctor's on staff at a hospital. It's not fancy. Their salary, they don't make a lot of money. And I said, too bad, they make enough money. Uh, they're a physician. Uh, you want to show me their tax returns? I'll take a look. Otherwise, uh, and we'll work with you. Otherwise. You know, they're, they're going to have to dig into their pocket. So in those situations, you do that. Uh, so if your asset search comes out that they have money, they earn a good income, uh, and it's most likely you can get, you feel comfortable going after them. Or they corporate. corporate. We find this in the corporate situation. Um, again, this isn't dealing with SUM, but again, settling for policy limits. I have a case right now where a trucking company uh, caused a really bad injury to my client. And uh, there's a million dollar policy and they're like, oh, you know, you want to talk within the policy? I'm like, where's the affidavit of no access? They gave it to me. I said, how come this trucking company that makes eight figures a year doesn't have more coverage? They own assets, they have inventory. Well, even though it shows it on the books... Well, you know, they do a whole song and dance. They share with me the books. I send it to my forensic accountants said they can come up with money. Trust me, they're they're being fancy with their movement of money, but they have a lot more than their coverage. So you put the screws to them. I have no problem doing that on a corporation. And I've told them they may even be on the Zoom. If you're there, I'm not saying anything privileged. I'm not giving names, but I'm not settling that case. It's flat liability. It's a rear ender uh, with, you know, fusion surgery and hardware, they're going to have to be uncomfortable and come up with money. And so, yes, to answer your question, you do not settle the case for the policy limits in that case. If you're ever in a situation with a case or SUM where you want to settle the policy limits, but go after the SUM or after the insured, um, if uh, if, if you want to go after the insured in a situation where it's just tort fees or policy limits, You're not going to settle that case unless you sign a release, your client signs a release. That case is going to be over. So in a situation like that here, even if they offer me the million dollars, I can't have my client sign the release and just get the million from the insurance policy and then continue after uh, the trucking company for the balance. A lot of clients think you can do that. They're like, "Well, can't I just get the insurance money? Let's go after their assets." Uh, it's all packaged together. You're not getting the insurance money without signing a release agreement, and in that release agreement, you're releasing liability. So be very careful, uh, and you have to tell your clients, and you need to know that if you are in that situation, even if the policy limits are tendered, if you're going to continue on. You keep that tender letter off to the side, but you do not sign releases until the case is done. And that sometimes means verdict, judgment, appeal, or otherwise. How does SUM work with an MVAIC or MVIAC claim? Um, Generally, you're not filing an MVIAC claim uh, if you have SUM because you have to show there's no other coverage. Uh, If you don't know about uh, the motor vehicle accident indemnification company or corporation, we call MEVIAC. Um, that's basically, it's the, the municipality, uh, New York City or New York State, you'll find a $25,000 pool of money if there's no coverage at all. Uh, and that's 25. They'll step in the shoes. And it's basically a pool you can submit to get some of the 25 policy. And uh, you're not going to be hitting that if you have SUM, you're going to go for the SUM. So the two of them don't play in the same sandbox. All right, I've got about six minutes left. I'm going to try and get through what I can. Um, multiple tort I talked about that. Do you need a verdict to establish the value of a case for S.U.M. recovery, or how otherwise do you get them to pay the fair value? So for those of us that specialize in personal injury cases and plaintiff's injury cases, um, and in general, how do we get to values, There's lots of ways. Uh, And again, you need to inform your client on your process and why you're recommending numbers. Um, Generally, the way that um, I look at values is first through experience. If you're experiencing, you've been doing this uh, for a long, long time. I've been doing it 25 years, only doing this type of work. My father's still practicing, been doing this for 57 years. Can you believe that? I won't be practicing for 57 years, but God bless them. And you see stuff and you get an idea of values of certain types of cases, okay, in ranges. That's for starters. And if that range that you're familiar with is higher than the policy limits, you know it. If it's less than the policy limits, you know it. But if you really need to get into the nitty gritty, and let's say it's a case and there's a million dollar policy and the uh, representative from the carrier is saying, you're crazy, you want 750, this case is worth 200, prove me wrong. Then what you do is uh, the New York jury verdict reporter is a great resource, you can Google them. They will do a search for you of all settlements, verdicts, uh, pellet searches can be done. Uh, You give them as much information as you can and ask them to do an injury search. Uh, You can limit it to the last 10 years or the last 15 years. I recommend you try and limit it. Otherwise, they'll go back to the 80s, and those cases just the values aren't going to be where you need them to be. Um, So, if you do that search, they'll send you a PDF, a Word document, a hard copy. uh, Usually done pretty quickly. Cost you usually four or five hundred bucks, depending on what you order. Um, You can scan it. You can give them age, name, injury type. uh, You know, type of injury, type of accident. You get that back in and you pick out all the high ones you come across with and all the ones that look closest to your case, and that's your basis. Uh, Defense knows to look through that, and they pull out all the low ones, and they use that, and then you argue it the best way you can. You could do appellate searches through Lexis and Westlaw. Uh, They have verdict and settlement searches. You want to look at what the sustainable values are. That is what the appellate courts will uphold or knock down following a jury verdict. Um, I find the sustainable values and the um, settlements are usually the best to, to, to look at. Um, if you have your own cases, you can use those. So that's generally how you get to to finding out what numbers are worth and you provide those to the SUM carrier. And, you, and a lot of times in arbitrations, I've had arbitrators, I'd say, can I submit uh positions on our damages where we're getting to why we think the case is worth it I was was like, say oh that's great i'd love it send me some verdict reporters put that in your arbitration submission so sometimes arbitrators want that they will ask for that they may say but only give it to me in the county that this case would have been litigated in so if my case would have been litigated in westchester or rockland county um and i'm submitting all brooklyn and bronx uh, results because those numbers gen- generally tend to be higher um, That would be something the defense would push back on and they'd submit cases from the more conservative venues and say that's what should be considered so that's that's how we litigate and that's how we advocate by doing that all right i'm going to do one more i apologize if i don't get to yours super cool that you guys have asked so many questions and that you're so engaged with me in this topic i thank you um aren't i forgetting to mention that failing to offer the policy has consequences for example treble damages So here we're talking about bad faith law, and um, I might suggest we do another sort of seminar or have a discussion about what bad faith is and what that means. It goes like this. Um, The only coverage out there is a $100,000 policy. It's an American transit policy. They hit your client who's a pedestrian. The injuries are really bad, worth $2 million, and the only coverage out there is $100,000. No other policies, no SUM, nothing and they're not tendering the $100,000 policy. They refuse to tender the limits. You can make an argument, you send them a letter, you send them the case law that they're in bad faith. You give them a deadline. You're putting them on a notice that it's bad faith that they've not tendered the limits. You have to agree to say you're willing to accept the tender of the policy limits, okay? My other case I told you with the tra- tractor trailer rear-ending, if I were to send that letter saying they're in bad faith by not tendering the million-dollar policy, I just have to say I'd be willing to accept that. And I'm not, but I could do that if I was willing to accept it. I could say you're in bad faith. And then ultimately, if you go and you get a verdict uh, and you've done the steps you need to establish that you've given them notice of a bad faith and they were in bad faith, then you can file a separate lawsuit uh, against directly against the insurance company for bad faith. If, you are ex- if you're successful in that, then the insurance company has to pay the value, even if it's a million dollars and their policy is only for 100000 So that's a whole nother topic. Um, Ah, good question. I do want to answer this uh, before uh, we sign off. Something that everybody should consider. Here's the question. If a plaintiff initially settles with an underinsured motorist carrier, an SUM claim, uh, for hit and run, but later finds the vehicle and brings an action against the tortfeasor vehicle, does the uninsured motorist settlement offset the recovery Great question. I had a situation like that. It went something like this. A truck uh, with a corporate name on the side of it hits my client, causes a bad injury. The client had SUM coverage. It was a while ago. I forget, but I'm going to use some sample numbers. It turns out there was 500,000 in SUM. We It was a hit and run. They couldn't get the plate. Although we identified the company, they said we have 100 of these vehicles, we can't tell you who it was. It wasn't our guy, sorry. Uh, we don't know who the driver was. We can't even confirm this was our vehicle, leased, all that. So we settle the SUM claim, let's use a number, $300,000. Then we, through our investigation, work really hard, do some really good lawyering, if I do say so myself, and in essence, we kind of identify the truck. We're able to identify it to basically, even though we don't have the plate, we know it had to have been part of this fleet and that they own it and the New York VTL, they're liable. So we ultimately, and we brought in a lot of parties, there was the owner of the vehicle and like five other companies that they may have leased it out to. Um, everyone's pointing fingers. They cobbled together a settlement. Okay. So the settlement doesn't get a uh, reduction, but when you settle the, the, the SUM claim, there's language in there that says if you later on come across a tort that has money that you settle with and you get money, We, the SUM carrier gets a credit. That's the kicker. So they get a SUM. You got to go back to them and say, yep. And you have to let the client know. You got to say, listen, when we settle this liability case, we're going to have to pay back a portion of it to the SUM carrier, because technically this wasn't an SUM case. We got to pay them back. And you can negotiate that too, uh, which is interesting. So you have to be aware of that. So Kate, um, we're at 2.30 now, 2.32. We still got 300 lawyers here who I'm happy to continue to answer questions, or do we need to sign off?
1: I don't think we need to. If you guys feel good going, I'm good. We can. All right,
0: uh, stay with us. Oh, everyone's signing off. Don't leave us yet. All right, here's what we'll do. Uh, Let's try two more questions uh, that I can get to before I'll sign off. Um, If the claimant's in a rental vehicle, Uh, Is the rental company's SUM carrier primary to the claimant's own? Um, I believe it would be if the rental company has UM if they selected it. Uh, For those of you who know the Graves Amendment, that may kick into play. Uh, That's a scary thing I'm not going to get into now. Again, where I come down to in answering all these questions is look at the policy. Get your client's SUM policy. That is the priority. Get the actual policy, not just the declarations page. After you find out how much of coverage there is, make sure you, you can go after it and see what the exceptions are, see what the disclaimers are, okay? That's where it's gonna say, sorry, we don't cover you if you're in a rental car. Sorry, we don't cover you if you're in a cab. Um, so that's where the answers will lay. So find those. And if the language is vague, generally you'll be okay because they need to be specific if they're looking to disclaim or uh, have an exception. But if you're not sure, Uh, reach out to a lawyer that specializes in insurance coverage disputes. They're known as coverage counsel. There's some excellent ones in our profession. If you don't know of one, I'm happy to recommend them. Just reach out to me. Okay. Are the arbitrators fair or do they generally favor the insurance company? Good question. You know, philosophically, um, I like arbitration. I just put a case I had against Lyft Uh, a pretty good case with a pretty good amount of coverage. Lyft was going to be the defendant. I filed suit against them. And uh, we had some good discussions, me and defense counsel, before their answer. And I like to think outside the box. I like to move cases. And I said, you know what? You have a decent amount of coverage. If we agreed to do a high-low and kept the high at the coverage amount and worked out some other details, would the carrier be open to doing a a high-low binding arbitration? Let's let an arbitrator decide. Um, and we, and we ended up deciding that, which is great. That case will be done this year before the calendar year. And we're going to do well with it. I think we actually agreed on an arbitrator with NAM. Um, so that you have a little more control, you know, always vet and ask if you don't know the potential selections of arbitrators, like in a private, like NAM or JAMS or all that. But, uh, in the AAA, you don't get to choose your arbitrator. So do your homework. When you get your arbitrator assigned, ask everybody, get on all your lists, uh, ask people you know, do you know this arbitrator? Look them up, do their homework. Do they come from a plaintiff's firm? Do they come from a defense firm? Uh, What's their background? Uh, That'll help you see what kind of shake you're going to get. Generally, I think they try and they try and do their best. Um, You know, I don't think they're slanted towards the insurance companies because they don't just handle that. It's not just for insurance company disputes. AAA will get involved in any agreements where there's mandatory agreement to arbitrate with AAA. So I've had experiences with lots of AAA arbitrators, but generally most of them are not. I wouldn't say they're going to be great plaintiff's lawyers in general, but I think you'll have a fair shake. So um, if you think you got a good case and you're going to do your homework and put it together right and present the case to them and you feel good about it, go for it. I'm not concerned in general whether, if I feel I have a good case, I'm happy to go to any arbitrator you wanna give me. I'm not as, I'm a little more concerned over the years, frankly, with going before juries, Um, even with a great case. Jurors do crazy things. I've lost great cases. I've won cases I shouldn't have won. You know, you try the same case in front of different juries, you never know what's gonna happen. Strange things happen at trial. Cases get thrown out on appeal. Um, If I can arbitrate any kind of case, instead of going to a jury, I'm pretty confident that I can present a really good case in front of an arbitrator. I have to convince one person, not an unknown jury case is going to move fast. So go for it. That's my recommendation, but some may disagree with me there. Um, All right, let's get to one more. Do you have to prove exhaustion of the $50,000 no-fault before going for lost wages at an SUM arbitration? Good question, uh, and this will be the last one I'll take, uh, but I thank you all for hanging in there with me. So here's the deal, no-fault insurance, $50,000 covers you in an automobile accident regardless of fault. You can elect how that $50,000 gets paid, whether it goes to your lost wages, whether it goes to your medicals, whether it goes to both. Those are in a lot of the checkboxes in the form, so you want to make sure you help your client out with making that decision. Um, I do not believe you need to exhaust that at all in no fault. In fact, most of the time you're going to want to use in a serious injury that may go to SUM proceeding, the no fault for the medicals. Um, And even if you get a little bit to the wages, um, again, just like in a lawsuit, you can prove what the loss income is. Now, if part of that was paid by no fault, they'll get a credit, but if you have $100,000 in potential loss income and you can argue that to the SUM arbitrator as damages, same way you would to a jury, and they got 25,000 from no fault, You know, if you haven't considered that, you can deduct that and say, yeah, they got that. So there's still another 75, but you don't have to exhaust it for that to work in SUM. The only thing you have to exhaust without written consent or uh, for a lesser amount and with written consent for the full amount is the full policy limits. So with that, I thank you all so much for joining me uh, for the CLE about taking the um out of SUM. I talk. Hope I took that um out. And uh, everybody, go increase your SUM policies. Uh, as a little plug, if I may, since you were kind enough to hang in here with me, if you like the information I'm giving you, I do a lot of it. I've got five. Uh, five more parts to a seven part series walking you through how to litigate personal injury case formats the same. You're going to see me like this with this backdrop talking about the different steps. The first uh, Wednesday of every month. So March 3rd is going to be part three, my podcast, the mentor ESQ. Check it out. I have CLEs. You can get credit for it. You can go back and listen to these when you miss them and get credit for it. Uh, Submitting it online. It's really easy to do. I've got a lot of great interviews with some amazing lawyers, uh, as well on the podcast so I think you'll enjoy that and thank you for joining me if you're listening by the podcast thank you as always for tuning in and being a regular listener uh, if you like the podcast please share it like it um, and send it to those who you think may enjoy it and lastly uh, again I love meeting and connecting with other lawyers I've been meeting with so many other lawyers uh, one of the benefits of this pandemic everybody being on these Zooms reaching out workshopping cases uh, I've been sending up Zooms of phone calls left and right I'm happy To give free advice, no strings attached. Uh, I'm a believer, I say this all the time, in making our community better. Uh, So I'm happy to uh, provide any information I can share to make other lawyers better, even those doing the same thing I'm doing and competing with business for me. Uh, There's plenty to go around. We make each other better. So thank you for that and look forward to seeing you at the next CLE or on the next episode of my podcast.